0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and
1: pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Neil Nymark. Dr. Nymark is a family physician who successfully applies the principles of mind-body science, functional medicine, and stem cell therapies in helping his patients overcome illnesses that give them optimal health. He and other doctors across the United States are part of a group that enjoys being on the cutting edge of the enormous possibilities and positive results that stem cells produce. In this episode, we discuss what stem cells are, how they work within the body, the various ailments they can assist with, and how they may be used in the future. Good morning, sir. Oh, good evening. How are you? Yeah,
2: it's uh, afternoon for us.
1: Okay, afternoon. Sorry about all those. Um,
2: no, that's communication okay. That's breakdowns. okay. It's
1: always tricky with the, uh, the the time zones, but we're getting yes. there.
2: Yeah, I, I I'm shocked. I never uh, I never attempted uh, this big of a time zone change. So,
1: <laughs> well, I was just saying to Jake. Um, I actually found out about you. I was I was in bed one morning, just like scrolling through YouTube and. I'm really interested in anti-aging medicine and stem cells and all that sort of stuff. And your TED talk came up and I was like, wow, that's really, really cool. Like I'd listened to like Rogan's podcast with Dr. Neil Reardon and I was like, wow, that's." I was like, wow. So I listened to that and then I saw your TED talk. Oh, we've got to get this guy on. So thank you so much for, for coming on. So well, was thank sort of you. It's my a pleasure. Ted Talk celebrity. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say a celebrity, but uh, but it it was fun doing. It was the, one of the most nerve wracking things of my life.
0: Well, you pulled it off. You didn't look like you were, you know, the duck with the legs under the water panicking. You, you didn't look like <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, my mouth was so dry. I, they were supposed to have water up there. You know, when I get nervous, it's like oh, my. I felt like my words were coming out like some cartoon character. But anyway, it it is what it is. I, I had two things going on. I had my speech going. And then I had all my conversation thinking, nobody can understand me. Uh, My, you know, it's clear that they, they, my mouth is sticking together. They can't hear the words I'm saying. But it worked out fine,
1: so thank you. How many people are you sort of? Is it just a camera, or is there actually a real big audience there as well? So or how does we work? did I it live.
2: Wanted... I was in. I was actually in Oregon in Ashland, Oregon. Um, one of my patients who we've done stem cells on organized the event, and I so I applied to speak at it. She wanted me to speak, so I would say we had probably maybe two hundred people live.
1: Wow, that's nice. Yeah, I was in the think... theater. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot of people. You got like four hundred eyes on you. It's yeah, nerve wracking.
2: You can't see anything though. It's so weird. You know the yeah. lights are in your eyes. I, I would, I could never be an actor. <laughs> I'm a one on one person. That's yeah, my whole well, life. One on one.
1: Yeah, well, that's why we, Jake and I, love the podcast so much. It's such a like intimate experience. You get to like have these amazing conversations, and yeah, like I feel like in today's society we don't have enough long form conversations like this. So w- we really love it.
2: Yeah, I think it's great. Well, good for you guys. Thank you.
1: So, um, sorry, so, I guess
0: maybe. This, oh, sorry, go on, Jake. No, I was going to say it might be nice to start with, uh, like you know, what your background, what you do, how you sort of fell into this sort of field of medicine, and so on. Because you know, when we were sort of trying to find a guest to come and talk about this stuff, we were like, how do we even find these people? Like, you know, it's not like you've got stem cell doctors just knocking around uh, every city or every you know. We, we just racked our brain, and then David eventually stumbled across you. So maybe just fill us in on on the story.
2: Sure. So, you know, I've been doing medicine a long time, traditional medicine. I got my medical, I graduated from medical school back in 81 from Ohio State University. I've always been interested in kind of, I guess you would call it preventive medicine, holistic health, and lifestyle medicine. And then I went and finished my residency in family medicine. And then I was doing traditional practice for 20 years. And I In 2005, I switched over to concierge medicine, and did you, did you guys what have concierge? That? No, you that. So concierge medicine here anyway is basically you, it's a membership practice. So patients actually pay an annual fee above and beyond their insurance costs to see you. And what my end of the agreement is, is I'd limit the practice to 250, 300 patients. So we have time to really go into depth with people, spend, spend an hour, an hour and a half on a visit if we need to. And that's what gave me the time to kind of explore functional medicine. Then I got, my, uh, I got certified in functional medicine, which is really the new preventive medicine. So it looks at all the biochemistry, the systems approach. So functional medicine is really... We don't focus so much on a disease state. So, for example, we may say a patient with a migraine headache, if you have 10 patients with migraine headache, you have 10 different diseases, right? Mm-hmm. So functional medicine looks at what's the cause. In one, it may be hormones. In two, it may be a, a wheat or a gluten allergy. In the third one, maybe it's emotional stress or depression. So functional medicine looks at the underlying systems, hormones, Inflammation, detoxification issues, digestive issues, um, energy problems like mitochondrial issues, um, nutritional or neurotransmitter deficiencies, and then good old psychological emotional stress. So we kind of look for those underlying systems and we fix those problems and let the disease take care of itself in a way. So that's functional medicine. And then having the extra time to sort of do all this research led me into, uh, you know, stem cells. So I started to look, well, what's the next big step in prevention, right? And you look at disease mechanisms like in autoimmunity, which is just exploding in the world. So you look at all these autoimmune diseases. Is it related to toxins in our food? Is it related to leaky gut? Is it... Um, just the level of stress. Is it 5G? Is it, you know, uh, EMFs? Is it what's going on? So I started to look at all that. And then you, then I actually read, uh, I got exposed to Neil Reardon on some podcasts and Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, that blew me away. I'm like, I had no idea that it was this close. I thought it was just all research stuff and, but they're doing clinical trials. And then I found a way to study it down uh, with Kristen Camella down at U.S. Stem Cell and get the training and just started doing the, we did liposuctions here. So we started doing autologous, um, you know, uh, retrievals for fat, send them off, get the stem cells cultured, the pure MSCs, the mesenchymal stem cells, get them back and start giving IV infusions of them, because we were already doing IV nutrition here. So I've been doing that for maybe five years. We'll do high-dose vitamin C. We'll do uh, nutrient replenishment to help people. We'll do NAD. So we've been doing IV nutrition, so it was like a natural progression to just move into stem cells, which, as you know, have this incredible anti-inflammatory effect they have this in, incredible regenerative effect with all these trophic factors and growth hormones and signaling molecules. So uh, I started using it in some autoimmune patients, and, and then we started doing some joints and things like that. And uh, so that's my situation. I have a very small practice. We have 250 patients, and I pretty much just see them.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Um, Ask Dr. Mimac, did you – I don't know how to put this. Did you sort of become disillusioned with the the traditional way you learn at medical school, where you're basically treating symptoms?
2: Oh, yeah, from day one. I mean, I knew right away, this is just insane. You know, the treatment, the, the symptom relief at the expense of looking at underlying mechanisms or root causes of disease, but that that's been going on for a long time. I remember teaching even when I was a resident I would teach uh, courses at the med school on preventive health. Back then it was more just lifestyle issues, you know, what are the non-pharmacologic approaches to high blood pressure? What are the dietary interventions? What are the exercise interventions? So, yeah, I've been interested in that forever and so yes, I, I I was incredibly disillusioned. I still am. I mean, medicine hasn't changed much. Uh-huh. The overwhelming majority of doctors are still just treating symptoms. I mean, look at uh, PPIs, look at proton pump inhibitors like you know Prilosec or Nexium for heartburn. So no nobody talks about the underlying causes. We just can control the symptoms, and I understand the appeal. It works quickly, it works well, but it slows protein digestion, it stops acid production, so you don't begin that protein digestion as well, you don't get rid of microorganisms and toxins as well, because you need that acidic environment to um, begin the digestive process. So we're still treating, we're still mostly a sickness care model, at least here in this country, I don't know about you guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're pretty similar. Australia in, in a lot of ways is you know, the mindset's quite similar. Obviously we're different, but I think that there's more similarities than there are differences. But it's crazy that we still think like that. I mean, it's like driving down the road every every day and hitting the same nail and getting out and replacing your tire. Like, why don't you just get rid of the nail off the road <laughs> rather than repairing it all the time? It's a bit of a crude analogy, but it just came to me while we we're having this discussion. What what do you think is driving this? I mean, obviously, when you get into um, medicine, become a doctor or a nurse or some allied healthcare professional, you're doing it to help people. So why why is there this sort of dog dogma where people are so, um, I guess, adverse to looking at these new ways to treat people and looking at things in a preventative way? It seems that like you know, if you, if you sort of venture down this road, you're almost labelled, you know, like a bit of a quack, or you know, you're you're sort of going against the grain. What what do you think's driving that? Right. So
2: I think uh, the knowledge base, first of all. So when functional medicine came around, that really changed everything because suddenly you had a discipline in medicine that was universal. And functional medicine became this kind of, it's kind of like the mat, what math is to science, right? It's the foundation of all science. So functional medicine now became this unifying um body of knowledge that brought naturopaths, chiropractors, um, homeopaths, um, you know, MDs and allopaths all together. We suddenly had a common language, which was this, the, the biology and the systems approach, how one system interacts with the other. So I think once the knowledge was there and, um, and basically elevated to a level that it wasn't just a bunch of crazy practitioners talking about leaky gut, then the science has been developing for a long time. I mean, the, the bench science has always been there. You mm-hmm. have the Cyrex labs and the um, Vojdan, the Dr. Vojdanis that are just brilliant scientists that have all this basic science, but we didn't know how to apply it to, hey, you know what? There really is a thing called leaky gut those zonulin occludin proteins in between those cells really do open up and let bad bacteria in, let toxins in and create inflammation and immune system dysfunction. So suddenly we have the language to talk about it. And now it's gonna take, look, I still teach medical students. I still have med students and residents come through here periodically to do a, a month with me or a day a week or whatever. They're not. They're still not teaching it in med schools. If you go through these, some of these systems, like if you start talking about leaky gut or autoimmunity or neuroautoimmunity or neural inflammation, nobody knows what you're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my wife's a naturopath, and <laughs> wonderful. She's kind of been exposed to functional medicine through working with integrative uh, doctors, etc. And I think functional medicine's much bigger in the states. It's a bit more developed um, here in Australia. It's still um, I don't want to use the word fringe in a bad way, but it's not mainstream. Um, and so you get a lot of doctors who, you know, they order a, a, a whole array of functional medical blood tests and hormones and all these things. And if you gave that to me, who, you know, I went to medical school and graduated 2007, I don't know what these tests are. I have no idea because they're, they're looking at stuff that we didn't learn in medical school, Um, very biochemical and, you know, um, it'd be hard to interpret it for, for a normal doctor. And so that's, I think where the discord comes because, you know, traditional doctors would see this as a bit wacky, a bit weird, because they don't know what it is. But yeah, it's it's hard to sort of balance the argument, I guess.
2: Yeah. And it's scary, because you got to go back and relearn that chemistry, you got to learn the, you know, Krebs cycle all over again, you (laughs) got to, you just got to go back to the basics. But then you start to see how these systems tie together. And you start to really help people like, look, I, I co authored a book about 20 years ago with a GI doc that I was one of my residency teachers, great gastroenterologist, William Salt. And it was called IBS. It was, it was on irritable bowel syndrome. And 20 years ago, we couldn't measure antibodies against zonulin or actin or LPS, lipopolysaccharides that are what we now use as a very scientific way to see, is there permeability in that intestinal wall? And yep. is it leading to inflammatory problems? So even 20 years ago, when we wrote a book, it's like completely out of date. I mean, we had no idea about, I mean, we knew about probiotics, but not not to the level that the microbiome has risen today. So we're just getting started and it takes 15, it's gonna take a whole nother generation to make it mainstream. Yeah, And, and then there'll be a whole nother area that's way ahead of that,
1: that
2: yeah, that's just that's science, right?
1: Yeah, and I don't want to get um sort of too political on this, but do you think that there's a pushback from I guess interested parties who perhaps would uh, make more money selling pills um, than looking at trying to you know in, cure cure a disease from a from a proactive perspective and, and get rid of the actual cause rather than treating the symptom? Do you, do you think that sort of stuff's at play too, to sort of try and stifle this this progression for in the in the to, uh, to make more money?
2: I I do, I I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's intentionally um, built that way, but so many people become dependent on the system as it exists, that it's like when carburetors were abolished, right? A whole nother industry has to come out. I mean, when CD players, you know, I mean, I grew up with tape right? Like not even cassette tape, reels of tape to make recordings. And then it went to, you know, cassette tapes, and then it went to CDs, and then it went digital. I mean, there are a lot of um, elements of the medical system that are built around these technologies that just no longer uh, serve us. But yeah, so I do think the money plays a part. I'm not conspiratorial. I don't really think that... um, well, I, I take that back. There may be there are certain segments that are uh, maliciously doing it. Yeah. I do think that's true, and this yeah. is a big problem with stem cells. Mm. To me, I mean, I, I didn't get into it in the TED Talk because you know you're limited to seventeen minutes, and but this is a this is very disruptive as a technology. So you look at a, a hip replacement that's going to be a minimum of fifty to hundred thousand dollars here in the U.S. by the time you get pre-op, operative, surgeon fees, anesthesia fees, and rehab and physical therapy. And then you look at a stem cell injection that may run, you know, 8,000 8, on, on average, right? And you can prevent a, a, a large number of hip replacements from being done or surgeries. They're going to fight that. The industry is to be orthopedic, Surgical supplies, hospitals, they're going to just do everything they can to sort of demonize the stem cell um, knowledge base and say, oh, it's not there yet. It's experimental. It's crazy. You can't grow back cartilage. So, you know, there's always resistance every step of of progress. Progress in
0: medicine. I guess it's a little bit like um, the autonomous car argument, where everyone who's in a driving job says no, 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 because if that happens, we won't have a job. So you know, th- there's progress, and then and then there's deliberate reasons to stop that progress.
2: That's right. There's going to be resistance to the progress, but but in the end, st- stem cells will be mainstream. Yeah. I mean, as will functional medicine. You 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 know, systems that are entrenched in the um, orthodoxy can only last so long. I mean, mm-hmm. w- when when you can prevent people from getting a total knee replacement or a total hip replacement, especially if you catch it at the early stages, like a stage two or stage three, you know, arthritis instead of stage four, you're, you're going to prevent a lot of people from needing these things. And and these are the elderly population that are most at risk for complications. So, I, I, I don't think you can prevent the progress. It's going to come one way or another.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's going to it's going to get to a point where it'll be undeniable, and right. and, and progress will happen. Um, I was listening to um Dr. David Sinclair, who's actually um, pretty sure he's an Australian doctor. He was on um done a lot of sort of uh, he's been quite busy getting his message out there recently in, in in various podcasts and so on, and he was talking about the concept of treating aging as a disease rather than just something that we accept as a function of living what what are your thoughts on that do you you think that's where we need to go
2: um i am like i am (laughs) i'm not um one i'm not into the sort of longevity or aging as a disease i'm i'm a very practical guy i'm a simple man i'm the son of a farmer from ohio it's Hmm. like i'm I believe in cycles, I believe that, you know, age gracefully, but I, I don't think we're going to, I think we could do things to extend life and extend functionality, and we should do everything we can to, what does they call it, rectangularize the curve, so it's not a long, slow decline at the end, and it's just like, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, and boom, I'm gone, you know? Yeah that's still a good life to me. So
1: yeah. Um, yeah. what are they saying? The, the, the life in your years, not the years of your life.
2: I like <laughs> it. I yes. I got that right. Yeah, something something like that. I know what you're saying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, this is when I was a medical student, and this is a bit random. It's just popped into my head. We were doing um, neuroscience, and they told us about, they got these little worm things. I can't remember what species they were. And, you know, they had a lifespan of, I don't know, 10 days or something stupid. And then the only difference they did with the uh, experimental branch of the experiment was they pumped them full of antioxidants and they sort of tripled their lifespan just by mopping up the free radicals and so the premise was that aging is is like david said a bit of a consequence of just an accumulation of inflammation free radicals little damage here um so on and so on and eventually the body gets succumbed by too many problems so you know the premise was just by mopping up free radicals in this simple experiment you, um, you know, double your lifespan or whatever it was. So I thought that was really interesting. And so I thought that functional doctors now look at aging as sort of a consequence of accumulation of inflammation. Is that right. wrong or right?
2: So I think there are a lot of different theories. Obviously, the antioxidant, reactive oxygen species, is one inflammatory issues are at the heart of almost every chronic disease. So that clearly plays a part. Um, this whole idea, and I think this is where uh, Dr. Sinclair is you know, involved in this whole, like the sirtuins and the NAD and um, the cyclic AMP and all these metabolic pathways that are even a step upstream from the from the inflammatory issues. So they like control these whole, you know, from NF kappa Bs to all these transcription factors that trigger whole sequences of inflammatory responses. So I think that, you know, we should do everything we can. And yeah, that's definitely an area where we're looking at. But I also think I'm a big mindset person. I'm like, you know, I I, I, I wrote a book called the, the Science of Positive Thinking about three or four years ago. And I just put all the things I've learned into that. But I've always been big on how do thoughts, how do feelings, how do attitudes, how do emotions affect our physical health, affect our stem cells? I mean, I didn't know much about stem cells when I wrote that book, but there was a little bit of information in there about stem cells. So I just think um, all this stuff, there's this saying, if you, um, if I forget exactly how it goes, but it's something like, if you eat a bad, if you eat a bad food with a good attitude, in other words, eat your food calmly and enjoy it, have, have conversation with friends. um, It's better than eating a good food with a bad attitude. You Mm. know what I'm saying? It's like our mindset affects everything from how we, digest food, what we absorb, our stress hormones, our cytokines. We know interleukin-6 can go up just from mental stress. We know that mental and emotional stress definitely affect um, a stem cell and, and healing, skin healing. So there's, there's lots of information on that. So I think even though I love biochemistry, I love wisdom more. And I think we have to have wisdom to live a good life, The ability to um, have perspective on life, have common sense, to think clearly, to deal with our own um, inadequacies. So, I, I, you know, I'm a believer. (coughs) Excuse me. I should go like this with COVID. (coughs) I'm not allowed to cough into my hand, but I'm here alone in my office. Excuse me one second. Club soda for all those interests. I was going to say, that's not a Diet Coke. <laughs> that is not a Diet Coke. <laughs> I gave those up a decade ago. Um, yeah. Only water now.
0: Can, can I actually pick you up? Uh, you just mentioned COVID. What's a functional medical perspective on the whole issue at the moment? That's really interesting. There's a lot of... I don't it, It's too political.
2: It's too political here. I can tell you what. I, I am a giant believer, early symptoms hydroxychloroquine, zinc, zithromax, quercetin if you want. So all hydroxychloroquine is just a a zinc ionophore. It opens up the ion channel in the cell, lets the zinc come in, which stops the RNA polymerase, limits viral replication. So um, you could say take quercetin, quercetin, Zinc, vitamin D would be more of the functional medicine approach without the allopathic medicine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just put <laughs> a little disclaimer in there. Um, uh, everyone should uh, check to get their advice from, from their own individual doctor. This is just for information. This is not a prescription for anyone to go and take oh, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure
2: yeah. not. I mean, I'm just saying what I would yeah. do, and I would evaluate every, I mean, most people we don't even treat. If they're positive, you know, if they're not having many symptoms and whatever, we don't get into it. But there are things that are very effective in the early stage. And um, Dr. Harvey Risch, Yale epidemiologist, wrote a brilliant sort of summary that was published in the American Journal of Epidemiology on this. And you should go to that paper. It summarizes all the treatment. Yeah. that is effective without the politics.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> politics seem to get in the way of everything. Yeah. Now, um, to get down to, I guess, the, the topic at hand, we sort of alluded to it a little bit in, in the preamble, which was fantastic, which is uh, stem cells. So um, I can't believe anyone listening to this wouldn't know what stem cells are, but just, I guess, to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and to we all sort of start with a base level of knowledge, could you maybe just explain to us you know, what are stem cells? Um, Where do they come from? What are we using them for? Just a little, you know, one-on-one. So everyone's sort of starting with a base level of knowledge.
2: Sure. So stem cells, you know, are these sort of primitive um, cells that are mainly start in the bone marrow and then pass to all the other tissues of the body. So you can look at um, hematopoietic stem cells, which are still in the bone marrow. So people will do bone marrow aspirations to get those. The MSC, which is the main stem cell that's involved in most um, stem cell products today are the mesenchymal stem cells. These are perivascular cells. They're cells that wrap themselves around capillary beds, and they sort of keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the bloodstream, in the local circulation. And then, of course, there are embryonic stem cells. So Embryonic are just used for research purposes. So, embryonic stem cells are taken at about, if I'm correct, I don't know, eight to fifteen days of of a developing embryo. They're very early on in the embryonic stage, and they're pluripotent. They can they can develop into any other kind of cell in the body. Mm -hmm. Whereas an MSC is multipotent. A, A mesenchymal stem cell can become a fat cell. It can become a cartilage cell. It can become a a bone cell, tendon. It it has limited uh, abilities to differentiate. But what you need to remember is that that's tissue engineering. When you take an MSC and you put it in a Petri dish in the lab, when you change the, um, the nutritional environment of that cell, you can cause it to transform into a bone cell. You could cause it to go into a, 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 a tendon cell. You could cause it to be um, a fat cell, but you can't turn it into a brain cell, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a limited amount of tissue engineering that you can do, but an embryonic cell, you can turn into any other kind of cell. And we do it by changing the environmental media that those stem cells are, are grown in. The interesting thing is that in the human body, when we inject stem cells, MSCs into a joint, they do not um, turn into other cells. There was this early understanding that we thought, oh, we put them in and these cells we're putting in will become a bone cell if a bone cell is needed or a cartilage cell or a ligament cell or a synovial cell. They don't Um, because every tissue system in the body has a tissue-specific stem cell, those are called progenitor cells. So you have a bone progenitor cell. You may you may have a kidney progenitor cell, a bladder progenitor cell. So when we put MSCs into a bad knee, for example, then those will stimulate and wake up the progenitor cells, the tissue-specific bone cells, ligament cells that have been damaged, they wake up the existing progenitor cells, and those create new bone cells. So a progenitor cell, a bone progenitor cell can only create a new bone cell. Right? Videos, specific.
0: And I'll summarize what you said nicely. Yeah. The, the MSC is like the, orc- the, the conductor of the orchestra.
2: Correct. (laughs) Where'd you get that from?
0: From your video, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, Um, that's an original idea. I mean, I I was trying to think of how is this whole repair process orchestrated, so I just did it as an orchestra. So they're the conductor of the tissue repair. They will send signaling molecules, uh, which are um, some people know as exosomes, but there's more than exosomes but the msc will send signaling molecules what they actually do they get into an area of the body if you inject them into an injured tendon in the elbow they will get in there they attach to the blood vessels because these mscs are perivascular they live around blood vessels and then they have sensors they will actually collect data collect information and they read what's going on. Where's the inflammation coming from? What are the local white cells telling it? What are the damaged tissues telling it? They will read that information and then they will produce these signaling molecules or exosomes that then will go out and orchestrate the repair. So, if and it'll tell maybe a new, lig- a, a damaged ligament cell to create new healthy ligamentous tissue or new skin Mm. tissue yeah but here's the thing if you take an msc and you put it in a damaged liver it will create very different signaling molecules than if you put that same msc in a damaged knee they're intelligent they are sensors they're um uh, i forget what arnold kaplan he's the guy who actually named the msc And he wants to change it from mesenchymal stem cell to medicinal signaling cell because they produce signaling molecules. They don't um, differentiate into other tissues. But these signaling molecules are, um, they're intelligent. The MSCs are sort of mini drugstores, but they make the right drug based on the information they read. Yeah. So that's, that's their brilliance. All you have to do is put them in the right area and they are your healing
0: system. Can I wheel you back? How, How did you get involved with, with this? And what, what were the first things that you guys played around with? Just a simple example. That's
2: a good question. I think the very first patient I did, um, we did it more for inflammatory reasons. She has a very rare genetic disease with, um, which leaves her susceptible to multiple cancers. Mm. So she wanted to try this as she doesn't have any existing cancer now. Stem cells are not going to be a treatment for cancer, right? Um, They they may have a part to play at some point, but at this point we worry could they cause the growth of latent cancers that already exist. And all the evidence so far is that no, they don't. Now, embryonic stem cells are very different. They're known to cause cancers because they can turn into any tissue type. But the MSCs, because they're just signaling, they tend not to. There's been no evidence that they cause any cancers, um, even if you have latent cancer in there. But in her, we did it as a general anti-inflammatory. So we did a liposuction on her, and we just gave, um, you know, uh iv stem cells every quarter for like a year year and a half um in the in the interim time she hurt her back she had a compression fracture nothing would make it better she tried physical therapy she tried rest she tried all those things she said hey would the stem cells help me and i go i don't know well you want to (laughs) try so i don't i don't put them into the disc i just put them right into her paravertebral muscles right along where her pain was and it shocked me but literally in two weeks after three months of non-stop pain and i'm talking seven out of ten pain she calls me up and says you won't believe it i'm a hundred percent fine her, it, it just stopped because those cells would go into the muscles near in the paravertebral muscles right around the spine they wrap around the capillary system. They would read the inflammation probably coming from the, the compression fracture in the, in the vertebral body. And then they sent out little signals to reduce inflammation. They're very anti-inflammatory. So you,
0: you casually said, oh, we just took some stem cells. How did you do it? What, what
2: did you oh, do? Okay. So on her, it was really great because after you do the liposuction, we send them to the lab they culture out the stem cells, so we just order them. At that point, it takes about two months to to um, cultivate out the MSCs, and then we just order a vial of ten million MSCs, and we just put them right into her, you know, muscles.
0: And when you're doing the the lipo, is there a special way of doing it? What's a good site? What's a bad site?
2: So it's all done. Um, we just make a small incision right under the belly button, like the size of my pinky, like a quarter inch. And then everything's manual. You just use manual suction yeah. on a 50 cc syringe because you don't want to damage the fat cells as they come through. Right. Then we, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to get enough fat. We need about a minimum of 60 cc's of fat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about the size of a stick of butter. And then um, we send that off and then we can just order, we can probably get 30 vials of 10 million stem cells per vial um, from that one sample without having to do another liposuction. That's incredible. And just so you know, one vial would be enough for a hip, a knee. a so That covers a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of degeneration
0: that you want to repair. Yeah, and that can be done under local, just lying on a bed in your room. That's not a major... It's it's
2: absolutely done under local. Yeah, we absolutely do it under local. We make the little incision, we inject the tumescent solution, which is basically lidocaine with um, a little epinephrine in it and saline and a little bicarb buffer. Mm -hmm. So it's a standard... Well, they call it two tumescent solution, and it's just local. Every yep. now and then you hit a spot that they – but we don't do sculpting. We're not <laughs> cosmetic. I'm not a cosmetic guy. I just want to suck out the fat, and right. uh, people are more than willing to give us fat. The hardest patient I had was a bodybuilder, and she has, like, no fat. She's, mm-hmm. like, 6% body fat, and she's, she's had a great response for her rheumatoid arthritis. But we actually had to go – we went – above her buttocks and went on each side into the buttocks to um, pull out whatever. I think we only got 30 cc's, but it's been enough to get her uh, quite a few vials of stem cells.
0: Do you know what they do with the the fat cells once they've arrived in the lab? I mean, what are they doing? So
2: basically, they they have a whole, um, you know, you have to break away the collagen and break away all the the extraneous extravasated cells, the broken up cells and stuff like that. But yeah, then they put them in a medium where they can isolate the MSCs. And then once they get those isolated, they just replicate those and they keep them. So for example, they keep the pure MSC cells in liquid nitrogen. Mm -hmm. And so when we order a vial, they'll take a little bit of that total solution out. They'll plate it out. It takes about two weeks. They'll grow it from whatever they start with to about 10 million per vial. Sometimes we'll order three vials for IV use, sometimes two. So it takes two to three weeks to get them to grow culture out. Culture expansion is what it's called, right? So they culture expand the cells till they hit the number you need. And then they send us the pure vial overnight. It it comes on ice. It doesn't even come frozen. There's no defrosting. When they make these pure stem cells, um, the freezing process would be a problem <coughs> for defrosting them. So we just get them cold. We put them in within 24 hours and they're good.
1: Now, what's the difference between what you're doing there and say what Dr. Reardon's doing? Because he's had to go to Panama where he's out, sort of, he's not sort of under the the sort of watchful eye of the FDA and, and so on. So, w- is there a difference in terms of what you're doing versus what they're doing outside? Of yeah, the
2: he's he, we're we're doing the gold. <clears throat> he's got the platinum, right? Um, he gets to use something we don't get to use, which are umbilical day zero stem cells. So, when you take stem cells from the umbilical cord or the amniotic fluid and you culture expand those. Now you're talking about allogeneic transfers. So you're talking about a completely different set of DNA than when we send people's own fat, we are using autologous stem cells. So those are your own stem cells. There's no concern about um, infection, no concern about genetic transmission or viral particles or, prions or any weird stuff that could be passed. So the in the States, you can get vials of stem cells that are umbilical. There's a lot of controversy whether there are any actual stem cells in there um, or it's just amniotic um, a fluid or um, Wharton's jelly from the umbilical cord that has growth factors. But most of the, there's a, the place I use is um, called Predictive Biotech. I think they're very high-end. There's a lot of um, cowboys out there, if you will, that are doing stuff and just being dishonest about it. So there's a lot of deception in the field. But if you find a legitimate producer, that you can get a vial that has maybe 1.2 to 2.4 million MSCs living per vial. But don't forget, when we send off the liposuction, we get back 10 million. And you lose some when you defrost the umbilical product. And you're not allowed to culture expand that product. In other words, there's no manipulation of those cells. They can just concentrate them. So that's the product we get. They work very well for joints. Hmm. The guy, Jim W., that I did in the TED Talk, that's what we use. We use the pre-prepared product because a lot of the older patients, you know, they don't want to go through a, a liposuction. It's, it's, it's easy, but, you know, you got to heal for a couple of two weeks and you're uncomfortable and you're bruised. And some people just aren't up for that. So we use the product. But Reardon gets to take the umbilical cells, culture expand them, And he can do it in much higher numbers. So I'll give you an example. If you go down to Dr. Reardon, who I think is brilliant and an um, amazing scientist and healer. And if you have rheumatoid arthritis, because my rheumatoid arthritis bodybuilder patient um, looked at Panama. So we got all the information. She would go down there. It would be $25,000 and it's going to be Um, four days, and they'll give you 30 million stem cells a day, a total of 120 million MSCs that are all day zero umbilical. So because they they didn't want to go to Panama, we did the liposuction on her, and we'll give two or three vials. I think she's had, so usually at any given time, um, I'll give uh, two, let's say two vials, that's 20 million MSCs intravenously, and we'll try and do that like every three months for the first year to see if they have a good response. Whereas um, Reardon will give 120 million, which is more in line with what you see in the literature. It's a sort of almost, I don't know the exact number, but about a million per kilogram for most disorders that are studied in the literature. We're seeing results with much less than that, But the point is, he gets to give these. So on average, an umbilical stem cell, right? An MSC from umbilical cord will produce about 300 different growth factors and proteins. When I give um, my bodybuilder who's 60, her stem cells back, they're 60-year-old stem cells. Ask yourself, how well does a 60-year-old heal from how well does a baby heal from a cut? There's no comparison, right? But we cannot give intravenous umbilical stem cells here in the States. We can give them into joints. And the only reason they allowed it for that is because it's called homologous use. So it means that um, because we're taking it from connective tissue, you can put it into connective tissue. Mm -hmm. So they let us use the pre-prepared product for joints um, and muscles, but not intravenous
0: can I ask, because we're obviously going to have listeners who, who maybe have never come across this topic before, can you just explain the umbilical derived stem cells and, and how that works, why you would do it, and why is it controversial?
2: Yeah, so, um, t- t- so the, what I was saying that if the umbilical stem cell is so robust, they produce way more signaling molecules and way more exosomes than an adult stem cell that's 60 years old. So on average, a 60-year-old may produce 100 to 150 150 proteins in a stem cell, but this um, umbilical stem cell will produce double that. So it's much more robust. It makes much more healing um, molecules, regenerative um, growth factors, um, cytokines, and things that help repair the tissue and the process is simple. They just follow these women through birth. They, they're almost all cesarean sections when they would just, you know, it would be medical waste to get rid of the umbilical cord, but then they will draw off the um, stem cells from that umbilical cord and then and will culture expand them. And he's done even more. He has criteria that he can identify within very early stages of um, what we call a passage. So a passage is when one stem cell becomes two. That's one passage. Two become four, four become eight, eight become, you know. So he can identify very early certain receptors on those cells that tell him whether that particular donor is going to be a really robust stem cell or not. And then he only uses the ones that he's identified certain factors that he knows will make really great stem cell um you know product
0: so so to put that kind of explicitly and and how does it work logistically someone has a baby and the umbilical cord would normally go in the trash because you know you don't yes the, the
2: umbilical cord would normally go in the trash they may get some umbilical blood to save for you know genetic um you know freezing it or whatever but then those cords would be donated these women of course would be followed throughout their pregnancy very carefully for any diseases, any infections, anything that might prohibit them from being an acceptable donor. Okay. And um, and then they they will just get those umbilical cords. Maybe they get the placenta too or the amniotic tissue. Uh-huh. that's a great source as well. I'm not sure what Reardon if he uses more than than the umbilical cord, but some of that whole amniotic umbilical uh, tissue, and then he'll take it to his lab, and culture out the
0: stem cells. So if someone consents for that and says, yes, that's absolutely fine, do what you like with it, why is it controversial?
2: Well, because in the early days, um, they had to take it from aborted fetuses. They didn't know how to extract, and that's where it got the bad name. So the embryonic stem cells were like, oh, my God, you're using, you know, then it became a whole ethical, so... People who were, uh, you know, morally against abortions wouldn't want to do it. And it Mm. set up this whole sort of false narrative of what's going on. And now you don't have to do it. I mean, we can get them from adults. We can get them from fat. So the technology has improved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of um, how long those last, so you were talking about, you know, you did a series of, of treatments on this patient. I think you said it was like once a quarter. Um, Or you're doing it like three or four times a year. So once people have got like the desired healing response and they're feeling great, what is the sort of longevity of these results? When do you have to go and do a booster treatment? Is it the same process all over again? Or how does that work?
2: Right. So the answer is a big, we don't know. (laughs) Okay. It's, this is where personalized medicine comes in. Like things like that, compression fracture, that was a one-time thing. We put in stem cells in two weeks or pain was gone. That's how you know. Um, Jim W, who I talked about in the, we did his hip and he got a good year and a half. And then we just recently, two months ago, did a booster because his pain was starting to come back and he was pretty advanced when we saw him. I mean, so he got a good year and well, about a year and a half. I think we did him in August and we just did the booster two months ago. In fact, he's coming in tomorrow for some stem cells in his back because he's having a tremendous amount of back pain. Now there are some people that do stem cells into the disc. That guy, Harry Adelson, who's in Salt Lake City, I mentioned him in the talk at the very beginning. He is like the number one guru in the States. He has done more of these procedures and he'll do actual stem cells into the, the, the disc space into the nerve roots, the foramina, you know, so it's more of a pain management. I just do them into the muscle for symptomatic relief. So there, so I want to be clear uh, that if you're going into, you know, real small spaces near the spinal cord and the exiting um, nerve roots, that is all done under very strict, you know, radiographic guidance and So here, we just use ultrasound for placement.
0: Can I ask, um, do your colleagues who maybe aren't functional doctors, how do they view all of this? Do they kind of see it as a bit wacky still Um, or Uh, experimental?
2: Yeah, I think they all see stem cells as um, con artists. Stem cell doctors are as con artists, maybe. I don't know. Uh, You know, they, they... I have a saying that served me well in um, in all of medicine for the last thirty years, and I heard it from this neurologist, Philip O'Carroll, who I, I went to a seminar on, and he said doctors tend to be down on what they're not up on, <laughs> and I that that's just the bottom line. It's um it's just lack of knowledge, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess you know you, you would kind of admit yourself that when you first started, you were kind of guessing how many millions of MSCs you would need, and it was a bit of a trial and and see how you go sort of thing. So from that perspective, it's such a new thing that you don't know what you don't know, right?
2: You don't know what you don't know. And, And I just follow the people that went before me. So when I did my training from US Stem Cell, you know, they say, hey, we tend to see good results from Ten million in uh, a grade four knee, or you can do five million in a grade three or two knee. Um, You you know, the pricing is expensive, so you you want to be honest with people, and you know, you don't want to overcharge them and overpromise. So I'm very very careful. Most of my patients, though, this is a family practice, I've known them for 25, 30 years, so the trust is already there. Yeah. There are a lot of places that do heavy advertising. It's easy to get duped. I've seen a lot of doctors say, well, it's $6,000 for one joint, you know, 10,000 for two. They never talk to patients about, well, how many stem cells are we gonna use? How, how many vials of uh, growth factors or amniotic fluid do we want to add to it or PRP? I mean, so they're not really advising patients. What they do is they charge the most money for the least amount of stem cells. And then they say, you may need a booster. So whereas if I charge $6,000, you know you're going to get about the most stem cells you can get for that money and not like a lesser amount that's not going to do the job because my business relies on repeat i mean people stay with me for decades so i don't you know i'm not going to cut my own throat i care about people and i'm an honest guy anyway so but there's a lot of shady characters in the field that you know yeah. like i don't i don't know they mm-hmm. i don't know what motivates them to to do I guess they just want to make more
1: money. <laughs> yeah. Guess. Well, there's, there's, that's not peculiar just to medicine. That's just life in general. There's always, yes. you know, there's always fraudsters and, you know, people that are trying to take advantage of the situation. So what, I guess within with that in mind, what would be people's sort of, uh, how do people Quantify how do how do they sort of stay away from the from the from the charlatans and, and the dodgy people? What, what what are the sort of what are the the alarm the alarm bells or what should people be looking for to qualify the person that's right for them or someone that's yeah, legitimate?
2: That's a great question, and I'm not sure I have a good answer. But I, I right off the top of my head, I would say ask them what they're going to use and how many um, stem cells they're getting. I mean, I give patients the name of the product company where i get it from i give them the literature on it i tell them go to the website look it over read it over this is what product we use this is our pricing this is how many stem cells you're going to get for that if they say oh we just <clears throat> we'll we'll give you the right amount you know that's a red flag <laughs> yeah. are they giving you you know 1.2 or 2.4 or 8000 or 4000 makes a difference the number of stem cells absolutely makes a difference. And are they going to use growth factors with it? Are they going to use amniotic fluid? Or are they just using amniotic fluid with no stem cells? It's a lot cheaper just to get amniotic fluid. People think they're getting stem cells. It is regenerative. They're all regenerative products. But stem cells are different from amniotic fluid, right? So I think just see how upfront the doctors are with you and make sure they're giving you actual name of the company that they're using, so you can do your due diligence, check out, make sure they're approved by, for us, it's the FDA, although that's a politically um, crazy organization on its own, but I, I don't know what your organization is, but...
1: Yeah, we've got the TGA, which is a the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Okay, TGA. Um, yeah, same, same thing, different name, I guess, or similar. Um, so what are all the I mean, I, I don't know if you could even qualify them as uh, clinical indications, but what are all the things that stem cells can treat to the best of your knowledge? And I'm, you know by the time we publish this, maybe it's updated and they found something else. But sort of right now, what can people you know, what can people uh, treat with with stem cells?
2: So I think the big places where we see really good improvement are clearly any musculoskeletal problem. Almost all joint conditions, arthritis, Uh, Wear and tear, you know, whether it's autoimmune arthritis or rheumatoid or um, wear and tear, osteoarthritis. They, if you catch it early enough, they respond very well to stem cells. Um, The second thing I've had the most success with is autoimmunity. So um, there are some pretty good literature for diabetes, although my personal response from a couple patients that I've had has been, I've actually gotten better responses from healing up uh, their intestinal permeability than um, than giving them stem cells. Stem cells are anti-inflammatory and they're regenerative. They're tissue repair molecules. But if you have a steady source of inflammation in your gut from a leaky gut, then you know what? all those stem cells are going to go to heal that. But if you haven't stopped eating uh, gluten or glyphosate or whatever is tearing holes in your gut, then you're going to sort of waste all your stem cells because you keep creating new wear and tear and new inflammation. Mm. But I think in general, autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis is great results um, because we know that it will reduce TNF alpha, tumor necrosis factor alpha by 50%. With the first infusion, a second infusion, usually another 50%. So you really lower these inflammatory molecules that create havoc in arthritis. Um, so rheumatoid, lupus, I don't have any lupus patients, but I uh, but it works. The, the, the data is there. Um, uh, those are my two biggies. So... Yeah. Now, if you look at what Reardon's doing, um, spinal cord injury, although we, we have used stem cells in traumatic brain injury, they're very good for healing a breach of the blood brain barrier um, and also helping traumatic brain injury. But they, they, their use, the future will be in stroke for sure. If you can give them early after any damage to the brain, you're gonna minimize the damage and the scarring. Um, you're gonna, and they're also remember these stem cells are um, uh, vasculargenic. They they put out this vegf vascular endothelial growth factor, which creates new blood vessel formation. So they're angiogenic; they create new blood vessels. In the talk, I showed um, the um, foot ulcers in diabetics. So when you look at peripheral arterial disease and non-healing ulcers, they're great in that; it's phenomenal results. So things that would have led to an amputation can be treated because you get new blood vessel growth that increases blood flow to the extremity. Um, but stroke, traumatic brain injury, for sure they'll be used in heart attacks. They'll minimize scarring. There's some places looking at actually injecting them into the muscle, um, but they'll find new ways to do that. Um, there's, uh, Reardon's had really good results with autism, which is remarkable. <coughs> so because of their anti-inflammatory effect, they do help to reduce brain inflammation, which is often a component of, you know, the spec- autism spectrum disorder. And um, he says frailty of aging, um, which is just kind of more prevention, just help repair. And and this is how I think ultimately they'll be used. If we can get umbilical stem cells once a year at your physical, if you can afford it, you get a vial of stem cells and it goes through. The, The beauty of stem cells is when you put them in the venous circulation, they do, many of them get trapped in the lung initially, but then a lot make it to the circulation. They find the area of inflammation and they dock in those areas. So they're they're intelligent cells they go to where they're needed so you don't even have to know you just put them in they go to the areas that need the most repair and you know you wake up a little less achy or a little more uh, flexible or whatever
0: you've just answered kind of a question that i had so how do you know whether you need to use an iv or a more targeted um, stem cell treatment
2: that's a great question So it would be very rare to be able to put them intravenous and help a joint. So Mm. in a joint where there's no real significant blood flow, you're going to do much better to just go right into the joint. If you have a limited musculoskeletal area, like uh, a little tendonitis or whatever, um, go right into the area. Because they get diluted out, a lot of these go to the lungs. Mm. Oh, which is, by the way, why they're great for asthma and COPD. Hmm because they, they dock first in the lungs. A lot of them get trapped in the lungs. They will continue to produce these signaling molecules and exosomes from the capillary bed in the lungs, but if you have asthma or COPD, they're really great for regenerating that. So you go into a joint or into a, a limited um, focal pain in musculoskeletal, and then the autoimmune diseases are almost all intravenous. As, as is autism. You can, um, for TBI, some people are going uh, intrathecally. They'll do a spinal tap and inject them right into the spinal fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, we even have a guy down here, um, Dr. Chris Duma, who's a neurosurgeon that did some research where they, they actually um, drilled a hole into the ventricle and they just injected the cells right into there. But don't
0: do that at home. <laughs> um, I've to, I'm going to put my doctor's hat on now. I know you're a doctor, but yes. I'm a functional doctor. So there'll be a lot of people listening to this going, this sounds like magic. You know, this is just so incredible compared to what, you know, most people's reality is when they go to their GP. What, what's the data for proof? Like what I mean is if you, let's say, squirt some stem out into someone's knee, Right. They could, in theory, get um, uh, a placebo effect or, you know, they just feel great because you looked after them and for, for a week or two, they've got a bit more fluid in their knee and there's less, um, you know, sure. trauma or whatever. So, like, is there any evidence to say that, that you've done scans or you've you've got an arthroscoped and looked and there's more cartilage or anything like that?
2: Yeah. So there, there are studies for sure. I can't quote any off the top of my head, but... Um, they've looked very carefully at um, cartilage growth. So Mm -hmm. there is new growth of cartilage for sure. You will see a joint space increase. So if you had, you know, grade four bone on bone or a very narrowing of that, um, let's say lateral joint line in the knee, you will start to see space come back. Now, how much and how long it lasts, we don't know. A lot of people get a booster at a year just to be safe. Some need a booster sooner. But I would say, in general, if you're looking at anything short of severe bone-on-bone, which would require a joint replacement, most of the data shows about 70% uh, will get a benefit. That's the figure I use. I tell people there's a 70% chance that these stem cells will help in some way. It's hard to quantify after that. Will it be a 50% improvement or a 70 or 80% improvement? But 70% of people respond to the point that they don't need any further treatment for a year or more, right? Yeah. So those people, I will tell them there's a 30% chance. The biggest side effect is you're going to throw your money away. Yeah. There's no downside. But if you're in that 30% that just spent six grand to get stem cells in your knee, you know, it might bring a few tears to your eyes in three months when it didn't work. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be willing to say, I'll do anything I can to avoid surgery. I don't want to go that route and I'm willing to give it a try, but I'm very honest with people you know, they're expensive still, they're coming down, but yeah going to be four to six grand a a joint.
1: Is there any sort of um, common threads or themes as to why that 30% of people just don't respond? Is there something in their genetics? Is it the the, the symptoms are too far gone? It can't help. I mean, I know you said like grade four bone on bone can prove difficult because you don't have any joint there left. So it can't fix something that doesn't exist. Um, that
2: for sure is one reason. I mean, you know, if there, if there's so much damage that there are no tissue-specific or progenitor stem cells left in the cartilage or in the bone, it's been such destruction, then these MSCs can't wake up anything, right? Yeah. Because they don't differentiate into new tissue themselves. Yeah. They have to stimulate existing. So that's the biggest reason we see. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like it's still so new. You know, we're getting good results, but it's not always um, able to be replicated. We're still not sure about why certain people don't respond. So, I guess part of the challenge will be, um, or is, that until we've got set parameters, we know exactly, you know, as much as we can, be um, able to predict results and have some. I don't know what I'm trying to lost for the word. Now, like a, like a. Um, <sighs> Like a set way of doing it, like a like a like a, a protocol, protocol, some sort of sta- some sort of standardized way of doing it. That's right, going to be challenging. Right. Would that be accurate or? Yeah,
2: that is accurate, and I'm very honest with people. And we, look, we make them all sign things that say, "Hey, yeah. these are ex- the, these are these are not proven. They work in many people, but we're not claiming it's a cure for anything. We're not, we, we it may help you." Um, there are other options for you and people have to know that they may be yeah. throwing their money away.
1: Yeah. You know, protocol, that was what I was looking for. Like a set protocol the protocol. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. And, and I, I, the, we're not there yet. And believe me, there's a lot of resistance from, it's interesting. A lot of the local orthopods are starting to use amniotic fluid, um, because there are some amniotic products that are commercially available now so instead of giving a steroid injection they've always used synvisc which is the hyaluronic acid that goes in the knee joint and it it just brings the, the fluid back the cushiony oil the you know the motor oil for the joint so it, they'll use synvisc but now they're starting to use where they would use cortisone which only further damages bone uh, a lot of them will use amniotic product but the insurance is still on covering it so they'll say I can do the injection with cortisone for free, or I can do this amniotic regenerative product, and it's going to be fifteen hundred out of pocket for you, or whatever. Um, but they haven't gotten into the stem cells yet. It's it's going to happen. I mean.
0: Can I ask, Neil, you, you mentioned you sometimes use PRP. That's something that we use in aesthetic medicine for the skin or, or lots of people do. But why do you use that and, and what's its role? You know, that's interesting. So what um,
2: the the way that I learned it is this. The stem cells are the seeds and the PRP is the fertilizer. Yes. So basically, when you put the stem cells in, um the the p and we only use that by the way we never use it for intravenous because it would be crazy you're taking blood out you're spinning it <laughs> maybe double spinning it and putting the plate rich stuff back in and then it's diluted in the circulate it would make no sense yeah so we only use it in joints um because it does help to augment the response but a lot of us have moved to amniotic fluid which is sort of a little, I think in general, more regenerative than PRP.
0: Hmm.
2: So you can get the uh, um, predictive biotech makes two products. They make something, well, they make their core site, which is their cellular product for the MSCs. They make something called amniocyte plus, which has more of the um, growth factors and, um, collagen structure so it has some scaffolding proteins and then they make an amniocyte plane which is just regenerative sort of like amniotic fluid but full of regenerative growth factors and stuff those both take the place in my practice of prp because i i just don't have to spin anything down and i don't have to draw the blood and um it's a little more expensive for sure but
0: You know. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about um, you know, seventy percent respond, about thirty don't. In my experience, and I'm sure there are people who who argue with this, but I say to people who want PRP for their skin, fifty percent of you are gonna notice a real nice result and you're gonna value it. Twenty five percent kind of maybe, twenty five percent you won't notice anything. It's a similar kind of yeah, um, similar gamble, but you know what I mean? It's a similar um deal. Yeah. And I think you're,
2: you, you know, you come from the same mindset that I do. You just be very upfront. you be very transparent. you be very honest. In some people, this is going to work great and you're going to love it. And in other people, it just doesn't do much and we don't know why.
1: Mm. Yeah. In terms of um, like side effects or complications, I mean, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't sort of mention those a little bit. Are there things that can go wrong and side effects and any anything like that that people might need to be aware of? So
2: if you put these, you just, yeah, if you start putting stem cells in places they shouldn't go, there could be problems. So there were some people who first started doing it intraocularly to try and get rid of. You know, right. macular degeneration or, and uh, tumors happened and weird stuff happened. Right. Um, if you stick with the basic protocol, in joints, I've never seen a problem. Um, obviously, anytime there's a puncture, you can get an infection or bleeding or whatever. Um, and intravenously, there if you use a product that's not specifically designed for intravenous use, you could theoretically get a small pulmonary embolism. That sometimes happens. Some of the protein structures in there are too big, and they might block off a little arterial in the lungs. So that's why we never... These products that Predictive makes, you put them in a joint or a soft tissue, they don't go into an intravenous. So even though we can get umbilical cells for joints, we can't put them intravenously. And there aren't enough in there, I don't, I don't think, you know, 8 million, even if you got four vials and, and you were 4.8 to 9.6 million MSCs, it's not going to be enough to, to do the
0: trick. Mm. Mm. Neil, I know that you said you're not a cosmetic guy, but can you think of any particular future uses of stem cells for example for hair loss that's that's like oh a...
2: yeah i'm sure for hair loss they're great i I've, i have done prp on my stepson he would have some hair loss and we had a great result and did that little you know needling afterwards and i just did it because he went to a guy and they were charging him like i don't know six hundred dollars a treatment which isn't bad but he said, "Hey, can you do this? Can you get the PRP?" Um, and since you know I'm his dad, uh, you know it's it's free. So, but we had a great result. It was great. Uh, stem cells would probably work fairly good in hair. I think there are obviously a lot of cosmetic surgeons that are mixing fat, and there's a lot of just stem cells in the fat tissue for facial volumization and whatever um but yeah other than that oh i tell you where i did use it i had a non-healing wound i had a woman she had a wound that would not heal on her um tibia right so it's a bad area anyway it's a tough area blood flows and she was going to europe and she didn't want to be there and have to dress this thing and put you know dressings on it or whatever and um she only left me like about three weeks before she was going. And I said, look, I don't know if it'll work, but we can put some stem cells under there. And honest to God, we did that. And this thing had been festering for like two or three months. And within two weeks even before her trip, it was completely healed. So it works very good on wound healing.
0: Yeah. This reminds me of one of our early podcasts. David, do you remember we had Richard um, from Monday on yes. and one of his first ever jobs? Yeah. He worked in a company in the uk and what they do they did is it was like the the earliest stem cell i guess technology they took a piece of skin from the back of the ear Uh and sent it off to a lab to i don't know um extract some of the cells i don't know if they were stem cells or not and then they sort of just injected them back into the skin now this is for wrinkles not for oh okay and to be honest, it, d- it didn't work, and he was quite honest about that. But he did notice when they did it on things like skin for burns, it was incredible. They'd never seen anything like it. Wow. So it seemed to be that the stem cells are recognizing injury or damage, but a wrinkle isn't that. It, yeah,
2: it, that may be. It's uh, just exactly a fold in right.
0: your skin, so it's not an injury.
2: Yes. If there's, if there's a strong inflammatory component the stem cells will usually work very well because they dock around those vessels. They stimulate new blood vessel growth to heal the area. And then they recruit all the, you know, healing tissue specific skin cells, skin stem cells, and whatever else needs repaired.
1: What about people that have got, which which, by the way,
2: I'm sorry, just, I'm sorry, David. I just want to say, um, because it brought to mind one thing that some of the guys here doing um, stem cells, what they will do is they'll put PRP um, into a knee f- the week before they do the stem cells, trying to stimulate a little more inflammation hmm. because, the, you know, the PRP can be inflammatory. And then um, and then they'll do the stem cells after that, because we know stem cells work better in areas where there's a lot of inflammation. It just kind of stimulates them to do their thing better.
0: You should just get them to jump up and down for a minute before you inject it in.
2: (laughs) There you go. Or maybe you need to inject the wrinkles with some (laughs) inflammatory thing and then put some stem cells
0: in. Yeah, do some needling first or something. Yeah, Yeah,
2: do some needling, bring them back the next day, and then put some stem cells in.
0: Well, that's kind of how, I don't know if you've heard of the vampire facial that Kim Kardashian made famous. That's basically (laughs) what that is.
2: That is what. They, okay, so they're doing. They're
0: <laughs> we're one step ahead. See, of I this.
2: told you. I told you. I don't know much about uh, skin stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, can you see a day when we're going to grow people's own organs from uh, a stem cell um, harvest? Is is that too wacky, or is that kind of the point of all of this?
2: No, I think that's that's exactly where it's going, and we'll get there. I mean, that that makes the most sense. You know, I mean, if you get the scaffolding right. And you 3D some of these organs, 3D print them, and then add stem cell solutions from embryonic stuff where you just culture out the, you know, I do think we'll get to a stage where, where we can do that.
1: Yeah. Now, I
2: mean, that may be more than 100 years off, but it, it, will, it will happen, not in my lifetime.
1: Mm. What about people with, like, um, I mean, you may have mentioned this, but I was just thinking about people that have to have um, amputations because of diabetes and because they have like poor blood circulation in those areas, like the extremities, like the foot, for example. I'm assuming good for that too, potentially.
2: Yeah, fantastic for that. Like, I, you know, like I said, the the guy, Doctor Prochazka from the Czech Republic. I talk about that in the TED Talk. Um, they've had great results. I mean, it's not a hundred percent, but it's twice, you know, basically over two times as many people avoided, like, twice as many people needed an amputation, you could cut that number in half. Yeah, right. With a simple 90-minute procedure, why wouldn't you do that in everyone? Yeah, You know, it's, to me, it'll be malpractice one day not to do that. Just like I think it'll be, I, I, as soon as insurances realize this stuff works, and the reimbursement is there, Here's what's going to happen. You got a bad hip. The insurance is going to approve two stem cell injections, three months apart. And if you don't respond, then they'll approve the surgery.
1: Yeah, well, so it's, it's going to, to be the exact done that opposite. Way first.
2: It makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It makes it much cheaper for them.
2: Much cheaper. And 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 you know the rehab that goes into a right. joint replacement, yeah, I do. especially <laughs> in the elderly, it can be the end of them if they have a complication. Uh, get a blood clot while they're sitting in bed. I mean, yeah. so yeah. for them, there's it's a no-brainer. They never have to uh, uh, immobilize at all.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, we
2: give the stem cell, we tell them, take it easy. Don't do any long walks, but do your normal daily stuff, but don't exercise for two weeks. Let the, let the stem cells, you know, circulate around, but we don't put them in bed. We don't, you know, immobilize them. So
1: yeah do you know of um obviously we've got a lot of listeners in america but predominantly most of our listeners are here in australia are you aware of anywhere in australia that you know doctors like yourself that are offering these these kind of treatments or not yet
2: i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't know i'm afraid
1: yeah okay we'll have to look into that jake and (laughs) i'm
2: sure that if you look into some of the um companies that you know uh either give trainings for doctors doctors come from all over the world to learn stuff so you know if you go to some of the the training the american cell technology or u.s stem cell or predictive biotech and or Mm -hmm. you know there's a number of places and they would know who's come from out of the country to do the training and they're probably
1: the
0: ones doing it yeah Whilst we've been talking, I did a quick Google. There's a company called, well, sorry, there's a product called Calisim, which is the world's only skincare powered by umbilical cord stem cells. Ah. Oh. So there is now cream with umbilical stem cells, apparently. So that's interesting. We should look I mean,
2: at How that. do you, you, I would assume, if it doesn't, I can tell you if it doesn't get. Well, I don't know how they keep them alive.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and how do they, <laughs> they go through the skin? They,
2: yeah, if they don't get around a blood vessel quickly, <laughs> they're going to die. Yeah. You
0: know, they're
1: just... Yeah. Well, we'll have to reach out to that company as well, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with the, the skincare industry sometimes a little bit, uh, you know they promise a lot sometimes i'm not saying this company does but you know it's not unusual for for skincare products not to do what they say they're going to do so <laughs> we can be we can be um we can be positive we can be hopeful well on yeah, their it website is- it says it's no miracle it's science so there we go <laughs> oh. <laughs> i love that tagline you, you
2: did ask me how what are people going to think? They It just seems too miraculous. I never got to answer that. But yeah. look, to me, the, the human body is miraculous. All we're doing is taking stem cells from an area where they're plentiful, whether it's fat or bone marrow or umbilical cord elsewhere, and putting it into areas where they're worn out and there aren't as many. And if we can do that, The the healing system in the human body is what's miraculous. So the stem cells are just a transplant of that healing system from one area where it works well to another area where it needs some help. So to me, it makes sense.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours because it's such a, a fascinating topic, and I've, you know, been fascinated by it for such a long time. So it's been so fantastic to have you on and share all of your knowledge. You uh, know, Jake and I really, really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love it as well. And we may have to get you back on at some stage for a for a follow up chat as we sort well, of things you. things progress. But thank you so much for your time. It's Did been a
2: pleasure. On? Thank you for making it so easy.
1: Yeah, thank you. And again, yeah, sorry guys, for those. That,
0: slow going. So it was nice.
1: Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Do you have anything else you wanted to ask Jake before I sort of,
0: uh, no, I mean, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, if they if they've got a question or they want to fly to America and do something to their needs. <laughs> what, what, how does it all work?
2: So look, um, my, um, website is, um, MD medical doctor, MD and they can just, uh, I'm drn at mdpersonal.com is my email. Um, if you have any questions, you can send me an email, you can go to the website and see, you know, basically, uh, again, I, I just treat my, I got my little tribe here and that's my family. So we welcome new people in, um, but uh, yeah, I'm not looking for. I'm not looking for any business.
1: Yeah, are you on social they, media as well? I'm assumingly not. You're sort of.
2: I am not up. on. Okay. I I'm. I I didn't get.
0: Uh, I tried to tag Neil on Instagram. Story. It didn't work. <laughs> I couldn't find it.
1: Well, yeah. Um, well, the, the way I found out about you was that TED Talk. So anyone that wants to watch your fantastic 17 minute presentation can, I guess, just Google TED Talk and Dr. Neil Nymark. Yeah, that'll cells, do it. And i will find you. That's a great yeah, don't tool. Yeah, will find me for sure. Just thank
2: you.
0: yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time again. I'm sure we'll catch up in a year and, and you'll be growing ears on, on mice and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> good.
2: <laughs> Listen, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And good luck with everything you're doing.
0: Thank awesome. awesome. you. Good luck and stay safe. All right. Thank Take you, care, mate.
2: Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.
0: For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode
1: topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions, or guest requests.